I had a new-to-me experience when I went on the airplane with my son um, back in the end of March. Normally when I'm on the airplane, like everyone else, I hear them talk about how to buckle the safety belts, about where the exits are, etc., etc. But I've never really been pinpointed as the direct audience of the part of that whole text about putting safety masks on first before you put it on. And I've used that as an analogy for people in the past. I said, oh, you gotta put your safety mask on first. I've never had that directly spoken to me. They come up, they make sure that you're paying attention. This is important. And as the only person, well, one of the only people on the plane with a kid, I got special attention at that part. <clears throat> and it also, it took on a more, bit more of a gravity for me as well. I, I thought, well, yeah, this is now relevant in a way that I'd never thought before. One of the, one of the things that, that we see happening in the story of Jesus, the story of the disciples after Jesus' death and resurrection. Stories like what we see with Jesus and his disciples. He's anticipating going from them. Stories like we see in Acts 11 where Jesus is already ascended and the disciples are now, it's their, it's their turn to do this Jesus thing in the world. And Peter finds himself in this vulnerable place of trying to figure out what is going on. This isn't, this isn't what I expected. Peter finds himself in the middle of a room of strangers, people that he would never would have eaten with, never would have associated with, in his entire like, imagined future. He never imagined that he would be this one Jewish person in the middle of this group of Gentiles in a house space where there was likely all kinds of uh, things that hadn't been ritually cleaned, that hadn't been ritually designated and set apart. It was all kinds of uncleanness that Peter had to step into the middle of. And why did he do it? Why did he break what for him was such a strongly, deeply ingrained social taboo? Why did Peter cross such a strong and uh, indefinite cultural boundary? Because something deep within him prompted him. Something deep within him prompted him. The Spirit came to Peter in a dream and showed him something that he had never imagined before. He saw in his dream bedsheets full of all kinds of living things. Things that he'd been told are clean, things he'd been told are unclean, and maybe even things that he'd never seen before that he couldn't figure out were clean or unclean. Maybe Peter had this strong reaction not only to the uncleanness, 
but to the terrible ambiguity of the in-between. Have you ever been really anxious or upset by a feeling of, I don't know, what, I don't know what's going on here, I don't know how to respond to this? Have you ever been shocked by the terrible ambiguity of the in-between? Maybe Peter was too. But we know for certain that he was shocked by what was unclean. Because in the story we have, Peter says, he hears the voice telling him, go Peter and eat. And he says, I can't, I can't eat that. I can't, I can't do that. That's unclean. And Peter says, that's unclean, I can't do that. And he's living out a deeply ingrained boundary and social, uh, socialization in his, in his experience, in his mind. And he's responding like a good Peter should respond. Yet the voice compels him. The inner light moves him and says, Peter, don't go calling unclean what God has made clean. You ever heard someone say, mind blown, right? Mind blown. Peter has probably, I can imagine, Peter has this internal combustion response. Wait a second. It can't be both clean and unclean, can it? Can anything be clean and unclean? He's probably having all kinds of logical, logical formulas in his head and then, and yet being compelled into the ambiguity of the in-between into the ambiguity of what might be something new that he's expected to do. Something new that the Spirit is leading him toward. Oh my goodness, new things. Christians and new things. Are we good at new things? Are we good at changes? Some things maybe. Well, Peter goes, and he goes into that room of strangers, into the room surrounded by the unclean things and the things that perhaps he crosses his eyes at because he's never seen that before. And maybe he's smelling things and hearing things and touching things that don't feel at all like home, don't feel at all like the things that good Peter should be seeing, touching, or hearing. I have to imagine what it was like in that room. I don't know the details, but I know that Peter must have been uncomfortable. And yet Peter was compelled by something deep within him. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of the one who is this uncomfortable making love. Who in the, who in the form of Jesus would go to the people that were on the outskirts because they were deemed unclean. In the, who, when the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, would go to the people scandalizing their neighbors and say, God loves you. I love you. You're forgiven. You're, you're, you belong. All of this stuff that's been keeping you from true sense of belonging all of that is not what God wants of you I'm letting it go see God is compelled by God's own inner 
deep, deep love for all that God has made. And yet, we as humans, we have to be coached in the direction that God wants us to go. And that takes form in each of our lives, and it takes another form in the life of a community of people over history and culture. What we see in the story of the scriptures is the story of a people set apart to listen to the God who made and loves. And what we see in the scriptures is the story of a people set apart to listen just as Peter listened. To be so willing to listen that even when the voice seems to say something the voice has not said before, Peter still listened. Peter still went. And Peter remained open to what love might do in places that he didn't know God would go. So, something drastic happened, and the whole reason that we are here in this room is because Peter went into that room. And people like you and me were in that room. We were the ones Peter didn't quite think could... uh, uh, could possibly be in God's vision for the world in the way that Jesus was compelling him to imagine. And so here from a circle, a smaller one, comes a break in the body of Peter. Someone listening to God's compelling tug at his heart allows himself to break the circle on this one part here and see what's, what's the Spirit doing over here. And Peter, Peter goes up there and he's so overwhelmed by the Spirit, he says, I see now that God shows no partiality. I see it now that God is not Limited in God's scope of who could belong to this new thing in the way that I thought that God might be. And that verse, I see now that God shows no partiality, was a significant verse in the 19th century abolition movement. I see now, Peter said in the first century, that God shows no partiality. And we, as cultures and histories of humans, even as we within our own lives are coming in this process and struggle, we came to a point as a nation when we recognized that we were still doing it. We were still closing the circle. We were still imagining God's vision as much smaller than God's vision really can and should be. And so, it's surprising for many of us when we read John's Gospel reading today. And Jesus says, this is the commandment that I give to you. Because we, now, we often, if someone was to summarize, if someone was to ask you to summarize the Christian faith, you could probably say it in in various ways, 
And some, some might just say that God loves the world. I mean, we think of John 3, 6, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves the world. So we are, very, we are very aware that Christianity at least has proclaimed this universal love of God for the world. And so it's surprising sometimes when you really scratch your head and think about what Jesus says here. He says, I give you a new commandment that you love the world. No, that you love one another. Suddenly, all of us that were feeling uncomfortable about Peter being in that other room, we're breathing a little bit deeper. Okay, just got to love one another. All right, that might be hard, but it's not as hard as going way out there. That you love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So which is it? Do we love one another? Or do we go into the strange places and cross the boundaries and cultures and all the things that make us uncomfortable and love people out there? Which is it? So it made me think of the experience on the airplane. Because we have to learn this love. And we have to start where we are. And we have to learn little by little to open ourselves to the prompting of the spirit of love within us. And when we don't practice that in our own lives, practice that awareness of the love of God in our own lives, we don't practice that with those who are nearest to us. It becomes very difficult in the moment that comes to cross that uncomfortable boundary, to follow the Spirit's prompting into rooms, into spaces that we were told good Joel shouldn't go. But love is prompting us anyways. Peter followed the prompting of God and it's made all the difference. In our time and in our country and in our community, someone following in the long line of abolitionists, seeing still that the circles were being closed in, someone came along, a man named Martin, And he brought forth this vision. Because when Dr. King participated in the protests and nonviolence of the civil rights movement, many people were very uncomfortable. Many people thought that he was going in places and spaces and among people that he shouldn't. And he's doing what a good Dr. King shouldn't do. But why was he doing it? Well, something deep within him was prompting him to cross borders, to see something beyond what he'd been taught he should be seeing. And he wrote, or he spoke, because a lot of what we have of what he's written, he wrote books, but a lot of what we have of what he's written is, is things that have been transcribed from his speeches. So this was, this was something he said. He said, the end, the goal, 
The goal is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. And it's this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opponents into friends. And it's this type of understanding goodwill that will transform the deep gloom of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It's this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of men. This is the love that transformed Peter. And again, it begins very close to home. It begins in the ways that we practice this love with the person sitting next to us in the pew or across from the church or in the choir versus in the pews or however you want to draw those lines and and connection points. Peter sitting around that campfire on the beach and Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Do you know that love? Do you remember that love that we began this with? That love which formed this this whole uh, fellowship to change the world. Do you remember that, Peter? Do you remember that love? And Peter says, of course, Jesus, of course I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Well, he maybe had forgotten that Jesus said, I have sheep that are not of this fold. And so Peter didn't realize at that moment but came to realize that God was leading him into an ever-expansive vision, ever-expansive practice of love. And so for me, I can say that this has been my, my whole journey in the Spirit. To find myself with people that I didn't know. People that I thought couldn't be called by God to serve in churches like this. I remember when I started at Yale Divinity School, I met people who identified as queer or transgender or who were lesbian or gay and openly in relationships. And they were people who were saying that God has a call upon them to serve the church. And my mind flipped to all the Bible passages I knew that said, oh, this could not possibly be right or true. I did a Peter. I felt terribly uncomfortable with what I thought might be an uncleanness before me. I did a Peter. And I thought, oh gosh, now I'm confused. And I feel a little bit like there's this ambiguous territory where on the one hand someone is gay and on the other hand someone is saying they're called by God to serve the church and build up this, this wonderful grace and love that Jesus has given to us. I felt anxious by the terrible ambiguity of the in-between. And yet, I stayed with that anxiety. And I remembered and I centered myself in a truth that I believed deeper than that anxiety, which is the truth that God loves all that God has made. That every person is made in the image and likeness of their creator and beloved of their creator. And so I decided that I would become friends or at least acquaintances. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm not the, the person they would seek out for a friendship, you know. But I wanted to learn. I wanted to grow in my capacity to open my heart 
and be in relationship with people that I thought were doing it wrong, were outside of the scope of God's plan. And over the course of my time in seminary and into into my present ministry, I have come not not to completely settle the ambiguity, but to see clearly that in the middle of that ambiguity, there is a deep, warm, powerful love always ready to teach me deeper truths about what it means to be human. And if we can do that with the people that we meet and become friends with, here in this room, in our workplaces, families, if we can focus on what is shared and human, and if we can remember in the middle of all our discomfort around our judgments or thoughts or our socialization, what we thought was, was true or right, if we can focus on what is human, the suffering and the joy, we can become in relationship with people that we thought we couldn't be. We can repair relationship with people we thought we couldn't. Some of you perhaps have people in your life that you have never talked with, or you haven't talked with in decades. And, from, and perhaps some of you will go to your grave that way And perhaps some of those relationships should not be repaired for reasons of safety. But perhaps there are relationships there that are just dusty because there was on one part or another or both a refusal to enter the ambiguous territory of the in-between. That love which can exist in the midst of complicated emotions, that love which can exist in the midst of complicated judgments, that love which can bring us into spaces that we did not know we could go. And so I want to encourage you to think of Peter and this movement we've become a part of, to think of the Spirit's ever-expansive vision. Every time you feel like you want to, close the circle. Allow yourself to be troubled in the best way by what might be deeper within you, that love which compels us and which saves us from that inertia that so many of us deal with to close in. And we're seeing this so much as the rise of nationalism creeps across all of our world. We see more and more of this closing of the circles. this circling of the wagons. This building up all kinds of barriers of difference based on arbitrary aspects of humanity trying to find this fellowship along equally arbitrary aspects of humanity. Building up fellowship by common enemy, by a common enemy. Oh my goodness, if you pay attention to the news, it's happening everywhere. And it's ruining us. And it's going to create more and more pain and more and more war. And it's everything that we see in the first century that brought Jesus to the cross. 
And it's everything that the resurrected Jesus with his post-resurrection wounds in his hands is trying to tell us we don't have to do this anymore. And in fact, God has another way. And it's a way of an ever-expanding circle of love that breaks through our fears, that breaks through our arbitrary judgments, that makes it possible for us to see fellowship, communion, relationship where we never imagined it could be or where we've come to be so hardened to feel like it can't be. What we need in our present day is not a different political leader per se. We need a different heart collectively, individually that will transform the way we relate to ourselves, to other people, and to the world at large. That is the message of Easter resurrection. That God's love can conquer all of our scapegoating, can conquer all of our forces of destruction and alienation. And that is what we have deep within us that can and will give us, speak to us, and compel us to let go of the fear that keeps us back. And as the choir sang this morning, and a song that I love for its... uh, bright and barbershop feel. We can brighten the corner where we are. Find someone in your life. Start small and have compassion on yourself. But if there is some person that you have, think about how you might be following the Spirit's lead into a new way of understanding what God's love means with them. And may that open your heart a little bit more and then a little bit more and a little bit more as you follow God's leading into what we see in Revelation described as the city of God. What Dr. King called beloved community. Community formed for and with that love that God so generously continues to give forth in us and through us. Amen.